report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Middle East powder keg primed to explode. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I'm Mark Webster. Concern on multiple fronts that the war between Israel and Hamas may soon expand. <laughs> Palestinian protesters in the West Bank reacting to the drone killing of one of Hamas's top leaders in Beirut, Lebanon, a man with a $5 million price on his head. No one claimed responsibility, but most observers say Israel was behind the blast that killed Salah al-Arori and a half dozen of his lieutenants, eliminating one of the terror network's founders. This UN official calls it a worrisome development. This just really highlights what the Secretary General had just said about the dangers of the spillover of this conflict in the wider region. This could inflame the growing battles between Israel and Hezbollah in Lebanon, which fields a force 10 times that of Hamas. Also raising concerns, the growing assaults on Red Sea commercial shipping. Missile and drone attacks by Iran-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen has drawn a U.S.-led multinational naval force into the region to protect them. Now Iran has responded by dispatching its own naval ship armed with long-range cruise missiles to the Red Sea. Iran's take? Activities by the U.S. and Britain in the Red Sea are in line with the role of those two countries in intensifying instability and insecurity in the regional waters, especially in the Red Sea. Israeli Special Ops veteran Aaron Cohen tells Fox News it all boils down to Iran versus the U.S. Iran is playing with America right now. They're playing with Biden. They want to see if he's going to get serious. It's time for the U.S. to start getting serious and start pointing and poking back at the IRGs, the Houthis, specifically it's time to start hitting some of those targets. Cohen says stronger U.S. counterstrikes might lead to some escalation on the conflict, but not necessarily to all-out regional war. And further inflaming the region today, two explosions at a military ceremony in Iran, killing more than 100 people, wounding nearly twice that many. The gathering was being held to mark the fourth anniversary of the killing of a prominent Iranian general killed in a U.S. drone strike. The blast happened near his grave. Next to Japan, still reeling from twin tragedies. First came a powerful earthquake that leveled scores of buildings and killed dozens, trapping many others. We begin with CBS's Lucy Kraft in Tokyo. With land access into remote areas of the Noto Peninsula still largely impassable, officials can't get a full grasp of the damage. Rainfall and mudslides pose an additional threat to an area still sustained aftershocks. Then came a deadly mishap at a Tokyo airport where a fully loaded passenger jet slammed into a small military plane waiting to take off, killing five aboard the smaller plane and sparking a huge fireball that engulfed the passenger jet. Inside the cabin there was alarm but no panic. A textbook evacuation got everyone out safely. All the more remarkable because some of the exits couldn't be used. CBS's Elizabeth Palmer, the military plane, was about to take off and fly supplies and personnel to help with earthquake relief efforts. Back in this country, House Speaker Mike Johnson leading a large GOP delegation to Eagle Pass, Texas today for a first-hand look at the border crisis. CBS's Margaret Brennan says the situation in Eagle Pass recently has been desperate. Officials here told us they did not have the manpower. Agents told us they were so overwhelmed that they could only guard four miles of the border. That left 90 percent percent of it uncontrolled. There were over 300,000 migrant encounters on America's southern border in December alone.
New York Representative Elise Stefanik among those cheering the resignation of Harvard University President Claudine Gay. This is long overdue. It should not have taken the Harvard Corporation Board this long to demand her resignation. It was Stefanik who sparred with Gay during a memorable House hearing. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? It depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. Gay, the first black woman to lead Harvard, becomes the shortest tenured president in its history. She will remain at Harvard, though, as an instructor. Health news now. The CDC says more than half of the country is experiencing a surge in COVID, flu, and RSV cases. Nationwide emergency room visits and deaths are up from the previous week. And it's not just COVID cases that are climbing. 31 states are reporting high or very high levels of respiratory illnesses, including flu and RSV. CBS is Meg Oliver. The ministry journalism site Ministry Watch is out with a list of its top news stories in American Christianity last year. Here's our Greg Gillespie. Multiple stories on the Ministry Watch top 25 list involve church splits. Several prominent megachurch pastors were leaving their congregations, often because of a moral failure or due to their leadership style. Denominations continue to see hundreds of congregations leaving for more conservative church partnerships. One of the biggest and best stories was the student-led, spirit-led revival at Asbury University in eastern Kentucky. The college town of 6,000 saw tens of thousands of visitors of all ages during those two weeks. Greg Gillespie, Family Life News. Thank you, Greg. An Ohio pastor with a heart for the homeless has run afoul of local authorities. This summer, Pastor Chris Avell of Dad's Place Church in Bryan, Ohio, it's about midway between Toledo and Fort Wayne, Indiana, decided to do unto the least of these by keeping his church's doors open 24-7 to the homeless. In November, the town told him, don't do that anymore. They started fining him daily for housing the homeless. Kind of this idea, we believe that anyone who's weary and burdened, they can come and find rest. And we believe it's true rest, like rest for their souls. And as a church, we believe we're commanded to take care of those in need. It's not optional. And it's our mission to show Christ's love to even those the world rejects. He loves him so much, he sent his son Jesus to rescue anyone who turns to him in faith. A court hearing is set for tomorrow in Bryan, Ohio. Still to come on the noon report. Might be time to dig out that snow shovel, putting the brakes to speedy truckers, and and starting the new year off right with a hike. Good afternoon, I'm Kevin Williams, tracking a more wintry pattern coming in the days ahead. That will include accumulating snow in parts of the area this weekend. I'll have forecast details in 10. Very good, Kevin. Now checking the stories making news where you live in New York and Pennsylvania. The lake effect snow belts off of Lakes Erie in Ontario got some moderate wet snow overnight and during the morning commute, but meteorologist Kevin Williams says you ain't seen nothing yet. The bigger ticket item will be this weekend. Low pressure heading up the eastern seaboard promises snow in much of the area this weekend, and significant accumulations will be possible, especially for our friends across eastern central Pennsylvania and the eastern southern tier of New York. Kevin's full forecast just ahead. A fiery New Year's morning crash in Rochester remains under investigation. Investigators are still combing through evidence recovered from his vehicle, but nothing thus far has been recovered that provides any additional insight into why this occurred. 
Police Chief David Smith says the accident involved three vehicles, one of which exploded. First responders found at least a dozen canisters of gasoline in and around the car that blew up. It was driven by 35-year-old Michael Avery. There's no evidence to this point that it was part of any larger terrorism or other plot. Two others in a car he ran into were killed, nine injured in that crash outside of the Kodak Center. New York State advocates are pushing for tougher blood alcohol limits amid a spike in drunk driving deaths. We get the details on that from Family Life's Jeremy Miller. New York saw a 30% rise in alcohol-related deaths in 2022, claiming 335 lives. Now advocacy groups are urging state lawmakers to lower the legal limit from 0.08 to 0.05. That's roughly four drinks in two hours for an average man, three drinks for an average woman. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is recommending all states implement similar measures. Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. Thank you, Jeremy. A year and a day ago, Buffalo Bills defender DeMar Hamlin was instantly at the center of a nationwide prayer outreach after his on-field collapse and cardiac arrest was broadcast nationwide on TV and radio. Hamlin, who has since recovered and played football again, credits the preparation and training of the team's training staff for saving his life. If it wasn't for someone showing up that day with a clear mind and, you know, whatever's going on in their personal life, just to be present in the moment, to actually be able to do their job correctly, that's something I'm, I'm truly thankful for and I don't take for granted. Hamlin interviewed by former Giant star Michael Strahan. New York Governor Kathy Hochul says consumer protection and affordability are one of her top priorities for 2024. Because when New Yorkers get knocked down, they get knocked down by illness, disability, unfair business practices, low wages. They need to know that their state, their governor, their legislature, their attorney general will have their back. First of many proposals Hochul plans to lay out in her 2024 State of the State address next week. The governor plans to expand New York's consumer protection law for the first time in decades to ensure more fairness in buy now, pay later services and also upheld medical and disability leave benefits. The speed limit could be changing for truck drivers in New York and Pennsylvania. Details on that from Family Life Sarah Harnish. A federal proposal to impose speed limits for semi-trucks is picking up speed. The Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration says it's developing a rule that would require trucks to install monitoring devices that would limit their speeds to 68 miles per hour. Some national trucking companies have already installed the devices. Pennsylvania data shows deaths from large truck crashes have risen 20 22 percent over the past three years, with over 160 people dying in truck collisions. Sarah Harnish, Family Life News. Thank you, Sarah. On Tuesday, the Pennsylvania legislature met for its first and likely only session of January. Neither the House or Senate will be back until February, a two and a half month break for repairs to the building they meet in. Democrat Bob Mursky says it's going to give lawmakers a chance to hear what's going on back on the home front. If you're not listening to the community, how can you affect represent them. So you have to be in your community to represent. But Republican Ben Rowe says with no voting, there's going to be no change to the things taxpayers are looking to have changed. It is unfortunate we're not going to be in session for about three months. Uh, We're not really doing anything legislatively to help taxpayers if we're not here. Repairs for a water leak on the ceiling are due to begin January 8th. Everyone should be back February 6th for the governor's address, but they won't meet for lawmaking sessions. The Senate only scheduled four session days during that time.
Some unsettling statistics from the American Lung Association concerning radon levels in Pennsylvania homes. They say high levels of cancer-causing radon gas have been detected in 40% of PA homes. Kevin Stewart is with the American Lung Association and tells Jet TV. The problem is that uh, radon is colorless, odorless, tasteless, invisible, so people can be exposed to high levels for a long period of time without realizing it, and then their risk will be much higher uh, the longer they're exposed to those high levels. So uh, we advise people to test. Radon can enter homes through cracks in floors, basement walls, and foundations. Nationally, radon's responsible for 21,000 lung cancer deaths annually. January is National Radon Month, and free test kits are available through a Pennsylvania DEP grant. And back to New York, speaking of keeping it healthy, 2,000 people descended on Tacanic Falls State Park to ring in the new year. It's a hiking tradition that started 13 years ago with the New York State Park system. We started slow with only six people on our first year that's steadily grown. And every year I see returning people who are bringing their friends and family and it's become a tradition. Hikers told WENY it's a great way to detox after all of that holiday food. It's actually kind of balming today. It has been very cold in the past. We all show up here in the morning and then we have a nice hike together. Take pictures and that's how we start the year. No idea this was taking place. I was taking pictures up at the Overlook and I thought, there's a thing going on here. We need to go and find out what's going on. That hike takes place every January 1st at New York State's tallest waterfall in Trumansburg. Speaking of hike... He's got football, basketball, and more. Here's Randy with sports. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. If I were to ask you who's the best team in the NBA, good answers would be the Boston Celtics. They have the best record currently. Or Denver, they are the defending champs. Maybe you'd say Minnesota, the T-Wolves, currently the leaders in the Western Conference. But maybe, just maybe, the best answer would be the Oklahoma City Thunder. They have won five in a row in eight of their last nine. And during that stretch, they beat Denver twice. They ended the L.A. Clippers' nine-game winning streak. They've knocked off Minnesota. And last night, they defeated the Boston Celtics, ending their six-game winning streak, 126-123. to Yeah, the Thunder are rolling. Elsewhere, Joel Embiid didn't miss a beat coming back from an ankle injury. While his stamina wasn't where he wanted it to be, his game certainly was. Embiid had a triple-double, 31 points, 15 rebounds, and 10 assists. And he led the 76ers to a 110-97 win over the Chicago Bulls. New Orleans topped Brooklyn 112-85. The Grizzlies beat the Spurs 106-98. Golden State knocked off Orlando 121-115. And the Hornets took care of business against the Kings 111-104. In case you missed it, Michigan will be facing Washington for college football's national championship game. The Wolverines beat Alabama in overtime 27-20. And the Huskies knocked off off Texas 37 to 31 that game will be played Monday night and on the ice last night just one game to report the Kraken shut out Vegas three zip that is a look at sports all right thank you Randy still to come on the noon report we'll recap the day's top stories for you and hear from Christian counselor Chris Anderson as he tackles the challenging topic of setting boundaries Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look and an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. The Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. 
And what has become a dark annual tradition? Islamic militants in Nigeria carried out targeted attacks on Christians on Christmas Eve. Over 160 are confirmed dead, about 300 injured in these attacks that were carried out in 20 villages across the north-central state of Plateau. Islamic militants have carried out similar Christmas attacks for at least the last four years now. There are three groups responsible for what Open Doors has called the Campaign of Religious Cleansing Against Christians. Boko Haram, one of the most notorious Islamist terrorist groups in the world, is responsible for killing thousands of Christians and displacing countless more since violence began to escalate in 2015. In recent years, their ruthlessness has been matched by a rival group, the Islamic State in West Africa. Now, as dangerous as these two explicitly Islamist groups are, the Fulani herdsmen are even worse. Because the Fulani territory in northern Nigeria is now suffering from a long-term drought, the Fulani have been moving south to access water. In order to take land and to drive out Christians, the herdsmen have raided and burned villages, slaughtered villagers, destroyed crops, engaged in a host of other atrocities. It was the Fulani who carried out this year's Christmas attacks. For years now, the Nigerian government has denied the obvious religious dimension of the Muslim Fulani herdsmen, instead claiming the conflict to be between farmers and herders. The Fulani herdsmen of Islamic militancy dates back to the late 17th century, so denying the religious dimensions of these attacks is pure propaganda, at least according to the governor of the state of Plateau. In a New Year's broadcast, he called for a week of mourning to begin 2024, referring to the recent killings as, and I quote, Christmas genocide and acknowledging the over 400 killed just between April and June of 2023. Quote, these unprovoked and simultaneous attacks in different villages were clearly premeditated and coordinated. These series of attacks on our people are a clear case of criminality, insurgency, and terrorism and must be seen and handled in that manner if we must succeed in halting this wanton destruction of lives and property. The avoidance of doubt, it is a misrepresentation of facts, he said to describe these needless and unprovoked attacks on our people as a farmer-herder clash, as has always been the traditional narrative. Let us call a spade a spade. This is simple genocide. End quote. Indeed, what has happened to the Nigerian Christians over the past decade and more meets the established international definition for the label genocide. And yet, as Johnny Moore noted on Twitter, quote, the State Department is reticent to speculate on the motive of the perpetrators of a massacre of Christians in Nigeria on Christmas in an area rife with terrorists. Still, even if everyone else does, Christians cannot and must not forget the spiritual roots of this conflict. For over a century now, God's been moving miraculously and dramatically, and the church has been expanding dramatically across the continent of Africa. In 1900, there were only about 9.5 million Christians on the continent, but today there are over 690 million. So it's not surprising that Satan would target and inspire their ongoing persecution. We can fight with our Nigerian brothers and sisters on two fronts. First, we have to continue to lobby our own government on their behalf, asking our officials to put pressure on Nigerian officials to take more decisive action against Boko Haram and the Fulani herdsmen. And second, we must lobby heaven for both our persecuted brothers and sisters and for their persecutors, praying that God's kingdom would advance and win even the jihadis to Jesus. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. All right, now let's check in with meteorologist Kevin Williams. 
Good afternoon to all. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast for this afternoon. Plenty of cloud cover, a few sunny breaks. There'll be a touch of lake snow in areas to the east and northeast of Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. Maybe an inch or so in those areas. High temps 30s to near 40. Tonight into tomorrow, flurries and a few lake effect snow squalls. Low temperatures tonight, 20s to near 30. Temperatures rise a few degrees tomorrow. Friday partly sunny with high temperatures in the 30s. Very good, Kevin. Thank you much. This is the Noon Report on Family Life. I'm Mark Webster. Thanks again for joining us. Let's recap a few of the day's top stories. We're learning some new details about that deadly and fiery crash between two planes at Tokyo's Haneda Airport yesterday. While the Japan Airlines pilot was instructed to enter the runway, the Coast Guard pilot was told to hold short of the runway or to stop before entering it. The pilot, who was severely injured, said that he had received runway clearance. CBS's Lucy craft in Tokyo. All 379 people aboard that large passenger plane were able to get out safely after it burst into flames, but five of the Coast Guard crew members died. The captain of that plane was able to escape, though he was badly injured. That plane was set to take off and bring relief supplies and personnel to earthquake-ravaged western Japan, where dozens have died and more remain trapped. Four southern border crossings set to reopen tomorrow. This reporter is in Eagle Pass, Texas. There's been a significant decrease in migration, and officials are attributing that to increased enforcement by the Mexican government in the interior of Mexico to stem the flow of migration before migrants even reach the U.S. border. A large delegation of Republican lawmakers in Texas today to get a first-hand look at the southern border crisis. First Colorado, then Michigan, now Maine. Former President Donald Trump has filed an appeal in an attempt to get his name back on Maine's presidential primary ballot. Secretary of State Sheena Bellows removed Trump's name last week due to his alleged involvement in violent protests at the U.S. Capitol almost three years ago. SpaceX has successfully conducted its first Falcon 9 rocket launch of the new year. Here's more from Daniel Martindale. The rocket was launched from Vandenberg Space Force Base in Santa Barbara County at 7.44 Tuesday night. It took 21 Starlink Internet satellites into low Earth orbit. The launch marked two firsts for SpaceX. It was the first ever flight for the first stage rocket booster used in the mission. And SpaceX put its first six Starlink satellites with direct-to-cell capabilities into space. They will allow people to call, text, or use the Internet from anywhere in the world, whether it be on land or water. Harvard University President Claudine Gay is out of a job, resigning Tuesday following allegations of plagiarism and a campus controversy over anti-Semitism. Gay became Harvard's first black president only in July. It seems like everyone's sick right now. Case in point, COVID hospitalizations have tripled at St. Joseph's Medical Center in New Jersey compared to just a month ago. It's concerning in the sense that the, the volume of patients is higher. They are sicker, especially patients that are the most vulnerable that have comorbid disease, things like cancer or respiratory disease. Dr. Nilesh Patel, who says it's not just COVID, more than half the country has seen a spike in the flu and RSV as well. You're listening to the Noon Report on Family Life. Good afternoon. I'm Family Life News anchor Sarah Harnish. Every other Wednesday, we come to you with real answers from a biblical worldview. Answers on emotional health, faith, marriage, parenting, 
personal growth, and pursuing the relationships that matter the most. With me is Christian counselor Chris Anderson. Hey, Chris. Hey, Sarah. Today's topic is boundaries, and we're in a new year. That means new goals, new strategies to be more like Christ, but the whole relationship thing gets in the way with our kids, our spouse, coworkers, our relationship with ourself. I think it's easier to hit those new year goals when you know where you end and where somebody else begins. <laughs> when your boundaries game is really strong. Dr. Henry Cloud wrote a great book called Boundaries that I read this past year that's helped me a lot. It's helped me with the ability to say no and with people pleasing and some other things as well. So what are boundaries and why are they needed? Well, Sarah, you know, we're talking about the rules that we are putting in place to help protect ourselves and our family from over-involvement in activities. Um, and even if those activities themselves are good things, you know, we're also talking about our relationship, our relationship rules, as you mentioned moments ago, you know, how we engage with others and to what extent we engage with others. And of course, that can mean our romantic interests before we get married and then after we get married, you know, to kind of help protect our relationships at those two different times. What are some areas in our lives that can benefit from healthy boundaries? You know, I really like how you put that there. These are not only just for relationships, but there's other areas as well. The first step, I think, is to take a really honest personal inventory about what areas of your life are overwhelming and the ones that you perceive are demanding too much of you. You know, these can be things such as involvement with your children, you know, children's activities, children's sports. Children don't need to be in every single sport and activity out there. You know, parents who do nothing but cart their kids to practice and games live a very unbalanced and stressed out life. Social media, here's another area, Sarah, that's huge where people have few boundaries and don't call the station and complain on the flash run, but over-involvement in church activities. Yes, you can be too involved there too. One of the greatest things that I learned this past year is that boundaries are to strengthen our relationships. They're not walls. They're always done out of love. So an example, my 17-year-old son was asking to spend time with his girlfriend and he needed a ride. And then after a few times where he gave me no notice, I had to draw a boundary with him that if he didn't give me 48 hours and send it in writing via text, not just yelling through his doorway, that the answer would always be a no. He's honored it. I stuck to it. And we haven't had another argument, Chris. It's been like two months. So I feel like my time was respected. What do boundaries look like without feeling mean? Mm -hmm. You know, the reality is it's going to look different in the situation. Like you said, keep in mind who you're speaking with. Keep your conversations filled with grace and mercy. Make sure that you are actually using language that's not accusatory. You need to communicate something like to an employer or the coach of one of your kids' teams. Of course, that's going to look a little different than how you're going to communicate to your spouse. In my practice, I like to encourage people to actually write letters. And then I say, hey, send the letter to me first. I'll give you feedback. You know, so in that way, you can really understand whether or not what you need to say to folks when you're setting boundaries is coming across the way you want it to. You're only responsible for your approach. You're not responsible for the other party's response. But a poor response on their behalf is fully on them, not on you. Don't take it personally. Keep your language respectful and merciful. Can you talk to me about the difference between a wall and a boundary? How do we set boundaries Mm -hmm. in a respectful way? Sure. Sometimes, you know, they can be similar and other times not so much. I think that boundaries that are firm, non-negotiable boundaries, these need to be put in place. And these principles are based on time-tested biblical truths that are not really open to personal preference and opinion. At other times, there might be some room for personal preference and opinions as long as it's not violating scriptures. For an example of one that should not be open to personal preference, 
the issue of pornography in a relationship. I think scripture pretty clear on fidelity and Jesus' own words make it clear that just looking is sinful. But another area where maybe there is some room for personal preference might be what your children are permitted to do in terms of sports and school activities, that type of thing. So you just have to understand that sometimes they need to be a firm wall, other times maybe a little bit of a movable boundary. I think that we shut down and we avoid conflict instead of just having strong boundaries and seeing them through. Mm-hmm. Why is shutting down yeah. just as dangerous as arguing with someone? Well, let me distinguish between just shutting down and not working towards some sort of revolution versus just taking a break to gather your thoughts or to plan out your approach out of love and respect and then returning to the discussion. Those are vastly different. Just shutting down will likely lead to bitterness and unresolved issues that will fester and then when given the opportunity, that stuff comes exploding out and causes even worse problems. Or that will also lead to keeping tabs and holding accounts, which the Bible tells us not to do in our relationships. So taking a time out and then agreeing on when is a good time to return to the discussion is going to be a far greater benefit to your relationship regardless of who it is with. It could be your spouse, a coworker, a friend, one of your children. Again, this approach will vary depending on that relationship between the parties involved. How do boundaries change the way that you argue? Well, I think it helps prevent going too far. It helps to put some safeguards in place so you don't say things that later you desperately wish you could retract. <laughs> and, you know, in marriages, you know, this is especially true. I think that all married couples, if they're honest, would say there have been times when they said things they wish they could have taken back. But sadly, oftentimes when we say things that we wish we could have taken back, it could be an indication that we really do feel that way or that we've just suppressed things for so long that it just turns into bitterness and then comes exploding out when the conditions are right. So having boundaries or rules for of engagement for conflict discussions will hopefully prevent us build up and be much more meaningful in building up the relationship. What's the outcome of having a strong boundary? Well, strong boundaries protect relationships at all levels and they make it easier to live balanced lives in a society that has no idea what balance is, that wants nothing to do with wisdom. And so having stronger boundaries also fosters respect for you, even when, let's say, you are the employee and your employer is not abiding by boundaries. And let's say they're not as willing to take this as seriously as you are, you will actually be more respected. Christian counselor Chris Anderson, Real Answers comes to you every other Wednesday. You can hear more of this feature at familylife.org slash news podcasts. Uh, Thank you much, Sarah. You can catch any of our Noon Report features online anytime at familylife.org. Just ahead, a pigeon who flew the coop for a long time. Good afternoon to all. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. A cold front is on the way. It's going to kick up a little minor lake effect snow in the snow belts over the next 36 hours. The bigger ticket item will be this weekend. Low pressure heading up the eastern seaboard promises snow in much of the area this weekend. And significant accumulations will be possible, especially for our friends across eastern central Pennsylvania and the eastern southern tier of New York. In the meantime, for this afternoon, plenty of cloud cover, a few sunny breaks. There'll be a touch of lake snow in areas to the east and northeast of Lake Erie and Lake Ontario maybe an inch or so in those areas. High temps, 30s to near 40. Tonight into tomorrow, flurries and a few lake effect snow squalls. Low temperatures tonight, 20s to near 30. Temperatures rise a few degrees tomorrow. Friday, partly sunny with high temperatures in the 30s. Thank you much, Kevin. Finally at noon, stop me if you've heard this one. So a pigeon tries to walk into a hair salon and... Well, yeah, there's probably a joke in there somewhere, but this is actually the real-life story where exactly that happened. It all started with something that was no joking matter, Hurricane Ian, which devastated South Florida 16 months ago. Among the numerous casualties, the disappearance of one Florida family's pet 
pigeon. The owner had long given up hope of ever seeing his beloved bird again, but well, fast forward to this Christmas. A Cape Coral salon customer was about to walk in for her hair appointment when she noticed a pigeon loitering by the door, drinking water out of a puddle and looking like it might not be your average run-of-the-mill street pigeon. She noticed it had a phone number attached to its foot. We called him to see if uh, he was missing a bird, and uh, he said it had been missing since the hurricane. And, um, you know, we called that our little Christmas miracle. You could tell the bird really knew his owner. He snuggled up to him when he was holding him. Oh, a real coup for a patient pigeon and his person. Time for us to fly the coop. That's the world we live in for Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. As always, we we thank you very much for listening. I'm Mark Webster, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.